Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of discussions with entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. Lawyerist supports attorneys building client-centered and future-oriented small law firms through community, content, and coaching, both online and through the Lawyerist Lab and Accelerator. And now, here are the co-authors of The Small Firm Roadmap and your podcast host. Hi, I'm Zach Glazer. And I'm Laura Briggs, and this is episode 319 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. In today's episode, I'm talking with Kara Golden about what it means to be undaunted throughout your career. Today's podcast is brought to you by Moneypenny, Postali, ESQ.Marketing, Cosmolex, and Text Expander. We wouldn't be able to do this show without their support. Stay tuned. We'll tell you more about them later on. So, Zach, you have been working on a project this quarter, and I thought you might have some interesting findings from it. You've been working on user experience, specifically on our website, but I think a lot of that can bleed over into attorney websites, do's and don'ts. So let's start at that 101 level. What is user experience and why does it matter? Yeah, so the first thing with user experience and user experience testing and thinking about it is is do it look at your website and look at it from somebody else's perspective, have somebody else come in and give you their opinion of it. When you're doing testing of your website, it doesn't have to be formal, but you need to get a different perspective and you'll be surprised at what you find every time. Yeah, I think you can start with a basic set of best practices that are out there and make sure that you're designing your website for your users and not for you because Aside from matching your brand and using the right colors and the right fonts and your logos and all of those kinds of things, the rest of the website is really about how the user navigates it. So there's basic principles that you should do. Make sure that things load very quickly. Make sure your website is easily navigated. As you've been going through this project and discovering things on your own, are there one or two key takeaways that you think would be helpful for attorneys to know about user experience auditing and updating in 2021? So I think one of the the big things that I see a lot of times is we want to put so much information in one place that we wind up cluttering it and making it to where it's just not usable because we think of our websites as kind of a billboard where we go to the first page and we say, here's everything about my office, where we need to be thinking about it as an experience. A, somebody comes onto our webpage, what are they thinking? What are they trying to get to? Where do they want to go? And the important part is, how do I get them there in a way that they're expecting? So a lot of navigation is is problematic for people. And sometimes that's because you go from a mobile-friendly website to you know just a desktop or something like that, and we wind up putting in navigation that is good for one and not the other, or we put navigation in, you know, the drop-down menus in before we have a lot of substance on our site, and so we have something that is kind of antiquated for what we're doing now, what we have on our site now. And if your website's been around for a while and you're not sure where to start, I think one of the easiest things, there's two options. So you can 
purchase software, even if you only need to use it for a short period of time, that will essentially heat map your site. And it will tell you how people are actually using individual pages or the site as a whole. You can also hire a user experience expert to comb through your website and make a set of suggestions. And some of those may just be general. Others may be things like around accessibility that you may not be ready to update right now or put captions on all of your videos, but that's something that in the future you may want to still have as a project to fold in. So you're definitely not on your own in this. And if your website's been around for a while, like you mentioned earlier, I think it's so interesting to see what the data actually say, because you can have a hypothesis and it feels like it's really sound as far as why you did things a certain way, and then discover that that's not the way your user is landing or navigating around that page at all. Absolutely. I, I have been surprised multiple times in this experience. And kind of going back to bringing in somebody else, if you can get a you know UX expert of some sort, they're extremely helpful because in the, the legal industry, we use a lot of jargon and we have a tendency to, to think that other people know what we mean when we say something because we're saying, well, th that word means exactly that. So I have to use it. Well, what if your users don't know what you're talking about? And so having a third party come in and just go through your website just simply go through it and offer their opinion on things is really handy. I love it. Now we've got my brief sponsored conversation with Eric from Moneypenny and then Laura's conversation with Kara. Hey, y'all. Zach here, the legal tech advisor at Lawyerist, and I am joined today by Eric Shirky of Moneypenny. We are talking outsourced communications, virtual assistants, virtual receptionists, live chat, and chatbots. Essentially, making sure that you can be contacted by clients and potential clients at any time. Eric, thank you for joining us today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's really, really great to be here. So we talk about this a lot at Lawyers, this idea that a firm needs to be available for potential clients and clients in a way that these clients want them to be available. And, and many times this means available outside of normal business hours and then giving them multiple avenues with which to contact you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we see it all the time, but it, it's so true. I mean, we live in a an always-on sort of culture these days where, you know, whether you're a lawyer or really any small business, you've got clients coming to you any time of day. And it's it's just a matter of convenience for them. Whatever works best for them, it's sort of a selfish approach almost, but it's it's about me at that moment and what do I need and I want it right now. You guys obviously um, offer receptionists, assistants, chat and chatbots, kind of the whole gamut. Are you guys finding that there is one method that potential clients are using over other methods? I mean, believe it or not, with chat and text and messaging, social platforms, the phone still remains king. Uh, we look at that from, from our own lead generation and, and our marketing efforts, demographic. The phone is, is still the answer. When somebody needs, needs help, they need, in this case, maybe a, a, new, a new lawyer, they're going to uh, pick up the phone and they, they want to speak to somebody and feel comfortable that they've made the right decision and that the service or the product that they that they want is is what is it's advertised, and sometimes that's not the case. Uh, I mean, there's another channel too that we've seen just massive growth through this pandemic, and that's live chat. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of legal clients that that are using that, and the adoption of live chat in the last year, real metrics are 500% growth in live chat, and that's engagement to just a website where people need a quick answer. And, you know, there's something to that metric, 500% increase in, in chat traffic in the last year. 
the phone and the chat for us are, are the two biggies. And to just kind of be clear, the the live chat, and you guys offer a chat bot, but the live chat is, you know, you go onto somebody's website, you go onto the lawyer's website, you type into this chat box over on usually the lower right-hand side, and you get a human answering your questions. That's what we're talking about with live chat, not just some sort of you know, random gener not random generated, but AI generated response or something like that. Well, no, yeah, you're, I mean, you're right. The the bottom right corner that we've all seen on various websites, e-commerce, uh, law firms, you know, whatever it is, that's that's a chat uh, widget. And yeah, mm -hmm. a lot of times there's not a real human behind them, and and there's technology to do that, and they're they're automated. Uh, messages and and that can get frustrating sometimes. But you can get lost in a loop, and they don't really, you know, they don't have the human touch. Right. And we have software that does that, and it's it's a nice blend of AI and chatbots. But we also provide a real person behind that chat solution, where we're able to be there 24 hours a day and answer questions, uh, provide pricing information, process orders, you know, whatever the use is on that company's website. There's a huge value there because like, you know, back to the point about the phones, it's, it's a convenience factor. And with the chat, it's, it's always on, it's 24 hours a day. Um, you can kind of stay anonymous. So there's really no risk of getting stuck in a conversation. You might not want to be, you're in total control. Mm -hmm. It's convenient. And, and I can get a quick answer. And if I want to disengage as the consumer, I can hang up and, and uh, I don't have to, so like a, if it was a telemarketer, I don't have to make up an excuse and, and I can just go, you know, with, through the pandemic, the shift to e-commerce and online had a lot to do with that too, where everybody was working from home and it's, uh, it's just become a really, really big uh, channel for communication for any business of any size, honestly. A lot of these work with, you know, your phone. So it gives you a way of, you know, sitting on the couch and you're sitting there searching for somebody on your phone, searching for an attorney. You don't want to make a phone call. And you're able to engage with the law firm at that point. And it's just a very convenient way that not everybody is going to want to use. But if somebody does want to use that, then it's, I would think it would be important to have it there. Well, yeah. I mean, think about the habits that you and I and the rest of the world have created over the last year. Uh, I, I mean, I know I spend probably half of my day on whatever brand you call it, a, a Teams chat or a Slack. You, know, all, you have all these different chat channels that are out there that's almost how we've kind of been trained to operate over the last years through chat and, and maybe less on the phone and i think that's driving that we're creatures of a habit and, and and it's just easy to to click a box and type out a message and and wait for a response and then i can go about other things in the meantime while i'm waiting on a response it's super convenient i mean if you think about it well and i think that and kind of one last thing i think this is low-hanging fruit in the legal automation area. You put a live chat out there, you outsource your virtual receptionist, you outsource a personal assistant, and this is something that you can do that is workable, as opposed to trying to automate your depositions or something like that. This is low-hanging fruit that attorneys can do pretty easily. Yeah, no, totally. Attorneys are busy. They have clients to take care of. They need to focus on billable hours and, and whether it's their trial or in court, whatever field they're in, you know, there's more important things to be doing than taking these chats and outsourcing this. It's just a part of business. Uh, they have clients and every business has customers and you've got to find a way to be there for them. That's exactly right. Having a chat solution or a, a telephone answering service with a dedicated receptionist, it's a necessary evil. You got to do it. Otherwise you're, you're going to give it up and, 
and somebody calling for new service or a new uh, assistance with uh, a law firm, uh, they're just going to go to the next person. Mm-hmm. I think that's exactly right. Well, Eric, thank you for joining us today. And if anybody wants to know more about MoneyPenny, they can go to moneypenny.com. And you guys are offering a free trial there. You guys all, always offer a free trial there, right? Absolutely, yeah. For both the telephone answering service, we offer a dedicated receptionist. So you get your own money penny, your own special person to answer the phone for you, and then as well as the live chat. Hi, I'm Kara Golden. And I'm the founder and CEO of Hint. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You have a book out that is just awesome. It's so inspiring for anyone who is a business owner or an entrepreneur. I took so much away from it. And I think one of the main things that I loved about it is there were so many points in this story that you have about getting to where you are with Hint today, where you could have just said, you know what, this is too difficult. The competition <laughs> is too stiff. I I don't know as much as I'd like to know about this particular thing. Um, so can you talk a little bit about your, your journey with Hint and why you wrote this particular book on Daunted? Sure. This was my journal and I was journaling for the last few years and I was speaking at a lot of different events and I would share stories along the way of building my company. And so a little shy of two years ago, I thought about actually binding my journal into something that people could actually have a look at. The book is called Undaunted Overcoming Doubts and Doubters. And I did not look like the person that should have been able to go start a company. Certainly, I didn't have beverage experience. But what I did have was a recognition that there was a problem out there and that I had an idea to solve the problem. And it started with my own life. I had a huge addiction to diet soda. I was a tech executive uh, prior to starting Hint. And I was taking a couple of years off with my young family. I had three kids under the age of four at the time. The backstory on Hint was that I was drinking a lot of diet soda. And one day when I happened purely by accident to look at the ingredient label, I thought, gosh, there's a lot of things I'm putting into my body that I just don't even really know what they are. I I remember thinking, why don't I just swap that out for plain water and see what will happen? And so I did that. And, you know, what I realized first was that I was really thirsty without actually having the diet soda anymore. I wasn't drinking anything else. So I started drinking water, but water was super boring. And I always thought it was super boring. So I started slicing up fruit and throwing it in water. And two and a half weeks after just making that one change, that's when my skin cleared up, my energy levels increased, and I lost over 20 pounds in two and a half weeks. I mean, it was crazy. And that's when I really started to question why after giving up diet soda, I thought, this is crazy. This just makes no sense at all. You know, and then I just started to look at the beverage industry and how there were all these healthy perception products out there. I mean, for me, my thing was diet soda, but for a lot of my friends, it was this other drink called vitamin water. And I thought, wow, there's such power in words and how people can be fooled. And I thought it was just, frankly, really sad for the consumer that here consumers are trying really hard and they're trying to solve a problem for themselves. And it's just not so easy. 
So that's when I remembered when I used to go to the grocery store and buy, you know, the 12 packs of Diet Coke and how easy it was. And I thought it's kind of a hassle to just slice up fruit and throw it in water. I wonder if there's a product that is just fruit and water. And frankly, I was shocked that there wasn't. And that's how Hint was born. What I love about that is I think sometimes as business owners, particularly in the legal industry where there's sort of this set track of what you do and what it looks like and how you price it and package it, you didn't start with that idea of, okay, I want to get into this industry because it seems like it's lucrative or because it seems like there's room for a particular thing. You really started with a problem that you had and found that other people had, which is really like, I feel like a lot of things in the legal industry, like getting away from the billable hour and flat fee pricing and sliding scale fees and different things are usually in response to attorneys hearing things from their clients like, hey, that other method just doesn't work for me. When you have a problem and you get that inkling of, okay, this this could be something I could create a solution to, how did you validate that idea and know that it was, I mean, I, I definitely struggled with a diet soda addiction. I was like you, I didn't think there was anything wrong with it, right? The word diet is in front of it. So yeah. at least I'm not drinking regular soda. If I have five a day, what's the big deal? But how did you validate that with other people to know it's more than just me and there's really something here that I think people might want? So first of all, I'm actually married to a recovering lawyer. And so you'll read all about <laughs> Theo in the book. Everybody loves Theo. And so the story really, here I had come up with this idea and I uh, really wanted to go and get it on the shelf. But he was being a lawyer. He was an intellectual property attorney in Silicon Valley, and he was taking a little time off. And, and so here I come around the corner and say to him, hey, you know what? how I've gotten healthier just by drinking this drink. I'm going to start my own beverage company. And So I think he felt a little sorry for me. He wasn't, I had made some money at AOL, so he wasn't going to tell me that I couldn't launch a company, but he didn't think it was the best idea I'd ever come up with. And he said, keep talking to me and talk to me a little bit more about this idea. And that's when I started brainstorming about different names and sort of what the purpose of this drink was. And then I said the word hint and I said, hint. That's perfect. And he said, four letter word, you're never going to get it trademarked. And again, he wasn't my favorite person. So I thought that there was no better time to actually share with him that I was pregnant with our fourth child. And I mean, he just looked at me and said, you're off your rocker. I mean, seriously, like, how is this thing going to work? So once he sort of came back into the room after the leaving the room, he said, so how's this all going to pan out? you know, I needed to share with him, first of all, that I was taking $50,000 out of our bank account to go buy bottles and fruit. And I had sort of thought about certain things, but there were things that I really hadn't thought about. And that's when I shared with him that I was going to a bottling plant in Chicago and I had gotten childcare and it'd be great for him to come. I think he initially felt that just by coming with me to the bottling plant, he could kind of quietly convince me not to do it. But I think what he saw when he got there was the bigger idea, which was that I didn't want to just launch a beverage company. I really wanted to change health and help people change health. And that's when he jumped on where the importance really was 
early on that I was starting to see was there was things, including he, prior to going to law school, he had a science background. He was super interested in kind of packaging and lots of different aspects that I just kind of said, oh, yeah, 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 like that'll just happen. And so the fact that he had that legal background, the fact that he was really detailed and enjoyed the science aspects of the business was just huge, right? It was it was a division of labor and an appreciation that I wouldn't have been able to articulate, which now I talk about as if you're going to get a co-founder into your company, it, you know, they might be your husband, they might be your friend, they might be somebody, somebody that you don't know, but make sure that they actually have a skill set that is truly unique and truly different. I love all of that. I, I think one of the things that jumped out to me is that at first, you know, going on this journey, you weren't really sure about getting your messaging across in a crowded and competitive marketplace, right? You're entering an industry that has big competition, companies that have lots of money to make mistakes and still recover from it, or just own such a significant portion of the market share. I can see that being really scary. And I feel like a lot of people would probably advise against that, right? I'm sure there were lots of people who were like, you know, pick something else. Beverage is not the place. It's too competitive here. How did you decide to push your way in, even though you knew this might be an uphill battle? So something I talk a lot about in the book is just all the fears that I had. Look, it's a great idea to say, oh, I wonder if I can get my product into Whole Foods. I wonder if I can go do that. And then maybe you're driving to Whole Foods when you're thinking about it, thinking, what if the guy says no? What if I can't find someone? That's being human, right? You're going to think about all those things. But then this little voice kept saying, but what if he says, yes, it'd be so great to right? And so I kept thinking to myself, okay, well, you know, all the bad can happen, but all the good can happen too. And something I always share with people, people used to say to me that if something bad happens, just forget about the past. And I've always been the person to say, you can actually learn a lot from the past. And you can also look back and think about things when maybe you didn't think that it was all going to work out the way that you did, but it actually worked out just fine. And then some, maybe you're even sitting in the pandemic trying to figure out, okay, what didn't work out great. Think about those things and figure out how you can use maybe those challenging times to really do better the next time. And I think that that's how I always thought about it you know, what's the worst that can happen? And if you just go try that, it just adds to your journey. And, you know, I think today I, I talk a lot about going outside of your comfort zone and going and trying things somewhere along the way. And I think it happens in every single industry where we're, we're sort of tasked with this dream of title, right? Maybe it's, in the business world, maybe it's, you know, getting your first job and then you become a manager and then you become a director and then maybe you become a VP and then a CEO of a company. And what I find is that in that ladder, you often are tasked with managing and mentoring and inspiring, which is all fine, but oftentimes you lose the ability or the time to actually learn, right? And I think today 
so often people are sitting in C-suite roles or maybe partners even within a law firm and thinking, you know, I'm kind of bored. And I think so often it's because you're not actually learning. And I think in order to learn, you need to kind of step outside of your comfort zone. When I left America Online, I was in that position that I'm talking about, but I couldn't articulate it. I think my husband being in a law firm, actually he was in-house counsel at, at Netscape. It was very exciting, but he was also, he knew his job really well. And so we got to a point where he was saying, I'm a little bored. I mean, that's when you think that if you go to another, maybe another tech firm and go, maybe you'll learn new things, but also maybe you actually need to go back down to the bottom where you're actually going to learn an entirely new industry. And I think that for me is, you know, something I think about a ton that using your experience from whatever you've learned to go and do something totally new, maybe in a different industry that's where you're going to find the happiest people because they're learning. And I really, really do believe that I call it lifelong learning. I mean, I, I think it's something that is so important for people to really make sure that they're doing every single day. And you could do it by going back to school or going on Coursera or whatever it is, but you can also do it by reading. You can go you know, meet some new people who are in an entirely new industry. You can go on Clubhouse and, and go drop into a meeting where maybe you thought that something was kind of interesting that you've always been curious about and start listening to people. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to do it, but that's where your brain just continues to develop and grow, I think. And we really don't talk about it enough. And especially as we get higher and higher within any organization in any industry. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll be chatting more about building your own business your way. Support for today's episode comes from Postali, a full service legal marketing agency for law firms. The attorney client relationship is the cornerstone of the legal profession. Just like you put the client's needs first, you deserve a marketing agency that does the same to grow your practice. Postali works with law firms nationwide and is the only full-service legal marketing agency that can call itself a marketing fiduciary. That's because, at Postali, the impressive results they achieve come from always putting your law firm's financial interests above their own. Imagine a relationship with a legal marketing agency that treats your investment as they would their own dollars, without hollow SEO promises, no commission-based upselling, and who won't work with your competitors. Postali is the marketing agency for legal professionals looking for 100% transparency and genuine guidance from a real marketing partner. To learn more about the benefits of working with a marketing fiduciary, visit postali.com forward slash lawyerist. Contact them for a free consult and mention this podcast. Support for today's episode comes from ESQ Marketing, an agency that believes in affordable and reliable marketing for solo practitioners and small law firms. With ESQ Marketing, you'll work with experts in legal marketing. All of their intense focus is on helping attorneys generate more clients and cases from the internet. They don't work with anyone else. You'll breathe easy with low-risk, month-to-month contracts, and there are no long-term commitments. ESQ Marketing earns the right to work for your firm each and every month. Best of all, you'll get direct access to the person working on your account. 
no account managers to deal with, and no lost in translation with your requests. To see if you're a fit, visit esq.marketing forward slash lawyerist to get started. Today's challenging and fluctuating business climate requires law firms to be flexible in the way they run their practice. Whether you're working remotely, in the office, or a combination of the two, you need to be able to work effectively and efficiently on the go at any time. That's why Cosmolex offers a cloud-based total law practice management system with built-in compliance for trust and general legal accounting. With Cosmolex, you get everything you need to run your practice in one solution with 24-7 mobile access that's both secure and easy to use. You'll be able to stay on top of all your billable activities no matter where you are, and your clients will love the direct and secure communication in the client portal. The Cosmolex migration team will ensure all your data is moved into your new system safely and securely so your firm can be up and running in no time. To learn more about Cosmolex Total Law Practice Management System, visit cosmolex.com forward slash lawyerist. Support for today's episode comes from Text Expander. Get ahead of your productivity for the new year with easy-to-use cross-platform snippets. Text Expander makes quick work of mundane, repetitive tasks so you can focus on what matters most. Say goodbye to needless text entry, spelling and grammar errors, and inconsistency in your messaging. When you use Text Expander, you can say the same thing, the right thing, in just a few keystrokes. Text Expander can be used in any platform, any app, anywhere you type. These versatile snippets are better than copy and paste, and they're better than scripts and templates. They work across devices and platforms to allow you to maximize your efficiency while still customizing and personalizing your messages. So take your time back in the new year and increase your productivity with Text Expander. Show listeners get 20% off their first year. Just visit textexpander.com forward slash podcast to learn more. So people often think about entrepreneurs as fearless risk takers, right? They're the people among us that are willing to take a gamble on something. But one of the things that really comes through in your book is this idea of how much your own doubts and fears played into this and how you navigated around them. So is it just that you're a different type of entrepreneur or is there more to the story there? I think everybody has doubts and fears. I think that the difference is, is that fears often stop us from moving forward, right? It's embarrassing if you fail, especially if you've been successful at something. But I remember taking a couple of years off after AOL. I had, I had three kids under the age of four prior to even coming up with the idea and then had four kids under the age of six. And I remember people would say to me when they learned that I was starting Hint, they'd say, isn't that really risky? I mean, you've been a successful executive and now you're going and starting a company and a entirely new industry that you know nothing about. And I kept thinking that would mean that I didn't do a great job up until now. I mean, couldn't I just share with people that I had this crazy idea and I tried to solve a problem and I went and tried to start a company and it didn't work out the way that I wanted? I mean, why would that actually negate what I had done before? And I said it maybe to a couple of people and they would say, yeah, I guess so. But that's the thing that I think people have these opinions about and really will feed in to your own fears a little bit, but most of the time they have no idea, right? Even your friends or your family, they'll have no idea exactly whether or not it's, you know, 
going to be a dumb move for you or not. And I think that more than anything, if you're learning and, you know, let's say you're, you're a lawyer and then you decide to go do something else, you can always go back to law, right? That's the thing. And I think so often that's where people just, they get nervous. And I don't think it's just me. I don't think it's, I think the difference is, is that it will stop people because I think they fear failure. It's not the easiest job in the whole world to go start a company and certainly not in the beverage industry either. And and you really do have to think and you'll take less money or no money at all when you're first starting, you know, your startup. But I think that for me, it was just really the idea of learning about this industry and all along the way too. I mean, the, the last thing I'll say about it is that probably the biggest thing I learned about it and really what excited me the most was that I could actually do a lot more than I thought I could do. I kept putting these walls up in front of myself because I didn't feel that I actually had the experience and hadn't worked in, in the beverage industry or in the food industry. And every single day there was this new puzzle piece that was depending on how you look at it, being taken away from the puzzle that I couldn't solve a problem or you know, there was a new section that I had to figure out in some way. And for me, it was just, I kept looking for the experienced people to kind of solve my problems. And I realized over probably a few years, and I talk a lot about this in the book as well, is that it wasn't the people that actually had the experience that were going to solve my problem because I really wanted to do something that was different and unique. And I was not only starting a new company, but I was also starting a new category, which, you know, if you've never really thought about this, I always share this with entrepreneurs that when you have a product or a service that you believe isn't out there at all, you're excited because it's not out there. The danger of that is that you have to educate the consumer. And if you have grocery store buyers that are actually controlling whether or not you get on the shelf, you have to convince them. In my case, it was convincing buyers that there needs to be an unsweetened flavored water. I would go in and try and sell them on my idea of an unsweetened flavored water. And they'd say, oh, it tastes great. What's it sweetened with? And I'd say, no, it's unsweetened. And they'd say, oh, is that like vitamin water? And I said, no, vitamin water is actually sweetened. And they would say, oh, well, we have vitamin water. It's fine. And I said, but it's very different. And they said, we don't have room in the planogram. And that's because it was an entirely new category. And so it takes time. I don't believe you can buy your way into educating the consumer, all of these things. But you know, it's very rewarding once you feel like people start to get it right and that they understand what the need is. Yeah. And making compromises was another big theme in your story that included deciding when to make them and when to really not compromise at all. How did you decide where to draw the line and deal with some of that resistance when someone might try to push back on you and get you to, you know, adjust or be the one to budge? Well, I think that the most important thing when you're founding a company is really to put stakes in the ground, right? And really understand what your why is, because you're going to have people around you, whether it's a buyer, whether it's investors or employees that are going to say, 
why don't we add a sweetener to the product? Or why don't we, you know, in order to increase our sales or do this or do this? And again, I think you have to go back to the plan, right? And you have to figure out exactly what this is. And and I and frankly, I think that people have asked me over the years, can you change the plan? You could. But I think you also have to announce to everybody who's come with you along the way. So customers, for example, who were looking for an unsweetened flavored water, if we were then to sweeten it with something, they would very quickly disown you as a brand because that was not the reason, right? It seems like common sense, yet people do it all the time. And I say people, brands do it all the time. And I knew that intuitively. And so I think for me, I really held those stakes in the ground very firmly and you have to. And if you are not the person that can do that as a founder, then you shouldn't be the CEO of the company. That really is the role of the CEO. I mean, at times you almost feel like you're the mother of the den, right? Sort of saying, here's what we're doing today, right? While everybody else is saying, oh, but let's go here and let's go do this. You can go and do all of that stuff, but then you need to be able to be that person that's going to pull the reins back in and really set strategy and make sure that you're sticking with it. And, you know, finally, I'll I'll just say that it's something that people won't naturally say to you as, you know, whether it's your customer or whether or not it's your employee. But again, I think it's, it's the role that you have to really put in the ground and you can be nice about it. But you need to understand a way to remind people that that's what your role is. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. There's lots of great information in this episode and in your book, which we will link in the show notes. Thank you so much. The Lawyerist Podcast is produced by Bailey Tiller and edited by Christopher Eng. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discuss here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Here are your first two steps. First, If you haven't read The Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free at lawyerist.com slash book. Looking for help beyond the book? Let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyerist.com slash community slash lab to schedule a 15-minute call with our community manager. The views expressed by their participants are their own and not endorsed by the Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you.